0: about what projects we could do. I got some things lined up for you. All right, guys, have a good one. I hand that to, T- to TJ.
1: Hello, um, I work for an organization called Seniors Helping Seniors. And um, it's an in- in-home in care agency. And we really need people, um, you don't have to be a senior citizen to work for them, but I, I am one, and I work for the, I'm work i in the office, and this week um, I'll probably be in the field, and um, we really could use people who are looking for a part-time job, um, the pay is decent, and just have a few extra hours, a few, um, the hours are, can be small or as much as you want, and um, it's not nursing care, it's not, you don't have to be a CNA or anything like that, just it's companionship care. And um, the areas of need are, if you take the highway from Millsboro to Dagsboro, Frankfurt, Selbyville, that area, um, The my employer is an amazing woman. She um, built this business up, even though it's a franchise, she built the business up with her life savings. Um, but she's, you know, she's having to as the as the owner of the business go out and do care. She really needs people, and her business is really picking up. Her her the money's, you know, um, it's just increased. Like she's just having a lot of increase. She's gonna raise everyone's pay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, yeah. So I have these business cards with all the info, and I'll leave a few out there. So think about it. Thanks.
0: And I didn't know you were connected with them. Great. My mom uses that organization. Thank you, Jesus, that she does. (laughs) (laughs) I was behind the board. I didn't think anybody could see me. Yeah, that's the trouble with these mics. If you don't have them turned off, it can get you in trouble. But don't worry, I'll have more freedom after the election. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that one, should I? shouldn't have done that one. Don't get started. I know. I'm sorry. Take that back. Strike it from the record. Um. I want to pick up where I pushed through last week. Uh, I somewhat, somewhat apologize for. I think I went pretty fast, but just trying to get some stuff. Um, trying to get some stuff out for us to think about. One of the things that um, I want us to stay aware of as we're looking at these various uh, aspects and. I'm trying. I, I am going to get us back to the actual um, discussion in the garden and the deception, and then ultimately the fall. That's where we're going. Uh, but one of the things that I've I've found interesting. And I hope it's working for you. Um, is for us to see that the Bible isn't just a book that a group of people wrote that is actually isolated from the march of human history. The Bible is actually telling his story as it's intertwined in human history. And it's there's just so many things that, you know, we 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 can and maybe you don't do this, but there there can be a tendency, especially in the old testament you know, you read the names of cities that you can't even pronounce, the names of kings that you can't pronounce, the names of battles, and, you know, and then you get to the real exciting place where, and, you know, these are the sons of Joseph, and these are the sons of Levi, and these are the sons of Dan, and and then you fall asleep, because you can't pronounce any of them either. Every now and then there's like a two or three letter name. But for the most part, you can't even pronounce any of the names. And, and so because of that, in, our, in the way we process information, we, we, just, we can jump over big swaths of the Bible and kind of consider it not really relevant to anything. When, what I'm hoping as we go through this study that we can begin to see that, okay, sometimes, not always, but sometimes buried in one of those list of genealogies is this one name. And I don't read it because I haven't read any of them, but that one name speaks back to and references back to an event that happened over here. And when I begin to take that name and put it back over here in this event, then all of a sudden I see that, well, God actually had an interaction with that family or that around that, uh, that location. God was having an interaction there with someone or some group of people. And I can breeze over that and see this picture of God as just doing some kind of arbitrary fire-from-heaven deal. And and from that, draw a conclusion that I don't really know what the heck that was all about. But, you know, in Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the expressed image of the Father. We read that as service started today. And then, if he's the expressed image of the Father, when the boys were traveling with him and they wanted to do the fire from heaven deal, he said no. Which... I know for the rest of the day, they were ticked off. Because, I mean, just think about it. We haven't had fire from heaven in a long time. We're traveling with Messiah. And these people are making a mess. If ever there was a time for fire from heaven, this is it. And if there was ever a person to call it down, I'm it. Just once. just once, yeah, just once. And just when I'm sure the moment has come to me, the boss goes, cut it out. You don't even know what spirit you're of. I'm of the spirit of fire. <laughs> I know what spirit I'm of, man. I read, I read. <laughs> Jesus, you're saying, no. Well, we can, we, we can then go back and try to um, interpolate the first story. But then bring it up and put it here with what's happening now with Jesus. And then oftentimes we'll take it even further, and now we'll bring that up to where I am today and the culture and the society that I live in. And I try to paint all that with the same brush of understanding. And I think when we do that, we come up short. We we miss something. Um, So... What I'm what I'm hoping as we're going through this is that as we look at some of these events, we can begin to see, okay, there was actually a lot going on, and which is why I had not planned on talking about this whole area of Ugaric. And if you, I hope some of you have actually gone and looked that up this week. There's a lot out there on it. It's it's amazing to me, um, and so. What I want us to see in this little snippet this morning and from last week is this, this: when we look at what was happening in Genesis, as we work our way through Genesis, Genesis isn't giving us this isolated story that is not connected to the humanity that Genesis, Genesis is actually speaking about and operating through. There were people, there were nations, there were kings. There were kingdoms. Kings killed kings. That's what kings do. If you're going to be a king, the only way you get to be a king is killing everybody else and be the last man standing. And the worst of it is, the minute you become king, there's somebody that needs to kill you so they can become king. One of the, and I guess the best uh, understanding of this that I got was when I traveled to England on one of my first trips. And we go to the Tower of London. We're, we're there in, in London. And so I had in my mind to be an English king because they owned the whole country. You know, I, the, one of my first experiences was we're walking down this little canal And there's swans and there's ducks and they're all swimming in the canal. And the couple that I'm I'm staying with, Tom and Jeannie, I said about the swans. And Tom goes, oh, that's Her Majesty's swans. Really? They're all Her Majesty's." He goes, oh, yes. Yes, by decree, all the swans in England are Her Majesty's swans. Like, did anybody tell the swans? (laughs) I mean, can they not leave? Because they can fly. I didn't see any like insignia anywhere. You know. I just found that kind of odd because you know, here in America, it's mine. Ain't no president going on all my swans. tell you, yeah, right now. I don't know who he thinks he is. Four years, you're out of here. those swans are mine. Right? So and Jeannie, she's looking at the, you know, I'm talking about the ducks. And she goes, do you have, I mean, these are ducks. I'm like, oh, I know they're ducks. And she goes, they're, um, and I said, those are Mallard ducks. And she goes, "Why? Well, yes, they are. Like, I know I'm a dumb American, but I know what a Mallard duck looks like. So, and she goes, do you have those where you come from? I said, oh, yeah, we have them all over the place. She goes, really? She goes, I said, yeah, we shoot them and eat them. And she goes, oh, my. <laughs> I, guess, I said, I guess they're Her Majesties as well. <laughs> and the answer is yes. So here you are. You're the king of England. You own everything, everything, even the peasants. You own everybody. You're the king. And we go to the Tower of London, and it ain't that big. Down the Abbey is bigger. And so the king and whoever the queen that week is, they live in there. And there's this wall around it, which isn't that big. So you have a little yard, which isn't that big. My yard's bigger. And they live in there. Because even though they own everybody that's on the outside of the wall, most of the people on the outside of the wall want to kill them. So you're the king, but you have, and I'm thinking, I don't want to be a king. <laughs> the peasants get to walk any place they want, and if you're not looking, you can wring the, ring the neck of one of Her Majesty's swans and eat it. Just don't let it get out. But these folks, they're stuck in this house, in a wall. And I'm thinking, wow. So in the Bible, when it's talking about kings, it's not like the, the, the towns. I was a, you know, if you're a king, a lot of these, when we look through these, the king is only the king of just this one small area. And the people, which most of them are relatives that live around him. And that's, that's all it is. And so they would just, you know, ram through. So we need to, I want us to see that the, the Bible is giving us this picture of a vibrant society that's functioning. We can look back through the millennia and go, well, that was a horrible way for society to function. And that's always open for discussion. But don't chuck that society or try to rewrite that society to make it be something that it wasn't. That's the society that it was. Humanity is progressing, and uh, this is an aside. But if uh, Nova just did a one of their shows, I think it aired last month, <clears throat> and it's on violence. It's about and there's a group of scientists that have been tracking violence, uh, and they've now. They've gone back and tracked from prehistoric time through archaeological digs. So when they find skeletons, it's easy to determine how they died. So you have a lot of skeletons with their heads bashed in, with limbs cut off, skeletons that they found that still have the arrowhead embedded in the bone. Amazing stuff. So they started chronicling how humanity died. How Violent, I put it this way how violent society was from prehistoric time, and again, those are only archaeological records, all the way up through today. Which then we start now, we have recorded records, um, and what they're finding is from I think it's 1100, might be 1200, but from 1100. Violence, violent death in the U.S., I mean in the world, not the U.S., because they actually have records from all over the world, which is really cool. But the chart for violent death in the world from like the 1100s to the present looks something like this. You guys stop using up all my pens on Monday night. Violent death globally has been decreasing sharply, and that's across the globe. And, of course, we all go, well, that's insane. Do you watch the news? Yeah, do you realize that the news is does a masterful job of taking pieces and putting them all together so it looks like a whole when, in fact, Okay, it was terrible that 25 people died in, what, however, they died in some violent death. That's a terrible thing. I'm not minimizing that. But if you take 25 people dying that way in a globe that has over a billion people in it, at a statistical rate, that's a, huge, that's, that's a very small piece. You know, the, they said the most violent period of, of human history, bar none, was the reign of Genghis Khan that when he was moving and the Mongols were moving across Europe and doing what they were doing, that the percentage of violent death during the reign of Genghis Khan was the highest that it's ever been, and it's been declining ever since. You go, what about World War II? A lot of people died in World War II, but there was a lot of people on the planet. So, of course, this is a statistic, and and I'm not minimizing death of anybody, any violent death, is one too many. I'm not saying that. But we can have this view, this worldview, that the world is getting worse all the time and that it's more violent, it's more prone to violence, and so on, and that's not the case. Um, that humanity is actually becoming more peaceful and humanity is learning how to handle conflict in ways that doesn't start with violence. And we don't have to go very far back in our history that when there was conflict, you start with violence, see how that works out, and then if there's anything left, then we figure out what else we can do. Um, just the way governments are interacting with each other. It's just, it's amazing. So we, there is this, there is the micro where we all live, and sometimes the micro can be violent. And sometimes the micro can be hard, and sometimes the micro puts us in this place where this is my life and it doesn't make sense and all this stuff is happening. That's true, and I'm not minimizing that. But me, one person, also lives in all of humanity. And so in all of humanity, in the macro, what is happening? Things are changing. Now, uh, NOVA wouldn't, wouldn't quite go there with their explanation, but in my mind, as I'm looking at the various statistics and the various things they're showing, one of the influences that I, I did not hear them reference in a positive way was the influence of Christianity on the planet. In their, in their view, where, where they extract from Christianity, they extract the things that we didn't get right, the violence that we did do. I'm not minimizing that. I'm not hiding that. I think we need to take that straight on and deal with it. But again, we can focus on the Inquisition in Spain and say that was, you know, look what the church did. It was horrible. When in fact, the church partnered with government to be tortured to death was, the leg- was legal. It wasn't like the church was doing that in the basement of the parish, it was being done in the courts with a judge overseeing it, but the church partnered with it. So again, I'm not, I'm not minimizing the atrocities that we as the church have played a part in, but again, let's not let something that's more of a micro paint with such a broad brush that, well, Christianity or religion is responsible for this. Um, I, I, I'm not willing to go that far. I just think, okay, let's own our stuff, deal with it, but let's not make that brush a two-foot roller that we're painting everything with. And I actually think that Christianity, especially in the last hundred years, we, the church, have been maturing as the the reality of the kingdom has become more real to us and we're maturing in how we're handling things. And so in today's world, what do you have? You have Christians that are making a difference in human trafficking. You have Christians that are making a difference in poverty. You have Christians that are making a difference in politics. I mean, it's across the board, Christians across the globe are taking very prominent places and shifting atmospheres and changing things for the good. You know, and even even in our own country, if we use slavery as, as an example, okay, there were a lot of churches, Christian leaders that were using the Bible to say slavery is okay. It's okay to own a person. It's this, it's that, it's the other. Yes, that's true. We need to face that and we need to take that head on. But at the same time that we had that happening, we had another whole group of Christians that were standing on the other side going, "Uh uh-uh, no, that's not acceptable. All men are created equal. God loves us. He created all of us. The color of your skin is how he created us. And he calls that good. And so there was another whole group of people that stood up under the banner of the church, and said, uh-uh, it can't happen anymore. And some of them gave their life for that. You know? So we're living in humanity. And I, and I can either isolate myself into my little enclave like the King of England does, and only let in what I want to come in. Or I can actually go, no, I live in humanity. I need to find out what humanity is really about. And... Okay, I'm going to tell you a story. Can I tell you a story? Once upon a time. (laughs) Now, now this this is a real story. Um, It came out of my, my trip two weeks ago down to Haiti. Michael Barnett, the gentleman, he and his wife... Uh, Jamaica. I don't know. I just get on a plane. You gotta be careful because sometimes if it's not a nonstop plane, I get off and then realize I'm not even supposed to be here. I, I don't have this whole traveling thing really worked out well. Jamaica, when I was in Jamaica, Michael Barnett and his wife Sophie have a ministry there called New Horizons and they do a lot of things that are similar to what we're doing with foundation builders, which is why we were there. Michael is 50% Jamaican, and he's 50% Swiss. His mom is Swiss. His father's Jamaican. And I thought he was Indian from India because he's very dark-skinned with soft, wavy hair, and he looks Indian. And he uses that to his advantage a lot. (laughs) Depending where he is and where he needs to get in, he could be black, he could be Jamaican, he could be Indian, or he could be whatever else you think he is, (laughs) if that gets him in the door. And he doesn't, he finds the whole thing humorous. So Michael, he's taking us back to the airport, we're getting ready to leave the fly home. And we're talking about the week. And one of the things, I had some really, really good discussions with Mike and Sophie both about racial issues, about the, you know, just what is, how do they think, um, how does that all work together? Um, and because one of the things with foundation builders, we're going into other cultures and we're trying to bring something into another culture that in a lot of cases isn't there and not just the vocational piece, but but the very, you know, with what they're doing, they're having to teach basic hygiene. So you're trying to get somebody to be a good welder so they can get a job. But if you can't help them get the basic hygiene part down, their ability to get a job is limited. Because you, the way you're dressed, you can't go to a job like that. Not only that... I'm not giving you a welding stick dress like that. You know, so there's that. So we 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 had some really really good discussions. They were really easy to talk to and and we it was it was just one of those pleasant things like you could put any question on the table and we would we would talk about it. So Mike is explaining how, you know, Jamaica had been under the rule of England, of Great Britain, I don't know how many years, but basically all the Jamaicans were slaves of Her Majesty the Queen. And, but the Swans got treated better than the Jamaicans got treated. And Mike's family you know, has been involved in that. And one of the things that Mike said to me that it, it took me a couple times of him saying it to start to really get it into my thinking... And he said, you can't take a man who's, for 600 years, has not been a man. You can't take that man and set him next to you and expect him to walk with you. Because his father wasn't a man. His grandfather wasn't a man. His great-grandfather wasn't a man. And so all the things that should have come up through the generations, father to son, for generations they haven't had it. And now you take that man and you put him beside you and you're operating from a standard that you you've had a father and your father was a man and so it was your grandfather and your great-grandfather. I'm like Yeah. He yeah, is so when you're talking to a Jamaican and they've their families are from here, you're talking to people that for 600 years haven't been considered a family. He goes, so, co- the, I forget exactly the word he used. It wasn't this word, but it was close. But he was saying, their capacity, not from an intellectual standpoint, but their capacity from a, um, a core family position. He said, they don't have the capacity. So he said, you have to first be in a place where you start to give them capacity before you can ever give them anything. It's because what you do, you get upset because what you give them, it looks like they've let it go, they've trashed it, they didn't, they were irresponsible, whatever. He goes, and in your world, yeah, they did, but that's not in their world. In their world, that's how their world functions. So they're giving you all that they got. They just don't have anything to give you. He said, so he looked at John and ISIS, so you're the two white guys in Kenya. You're going to have to figure this out. He said, I can tell you how it works in Jamaica. I'm pretty sure it works similar to that in Kenya. He said, but just saying to the white guys, you're going to have to figure out how to make that happen. He said, If you can't, if you can't get that piece right, all the other stuff you want to do, no matter how good and how empowering it can be it's not going to happen so it sent us home really you know okay god you've got to give us the download for this because i'm in the same boat that the jamaican standing next to me or the kenyan is standing next to me i'm in the same boat they are they're in except my boat looks different because i don't know how to be different than me And I'm not trying to hurt anybody in being me. But this is all I know how to be because I've been doing this for 65 years. But now I'm going to stand next to another man who doesn't know how to be anything other than him. But we're not the same people. And somehow we have to figure out how to come together. And I'm convinced that honor is a foundation in that but I'm not sure I even understand how honor looks at that level. I mean, how, how, how do I honor that man? I mean, do I honor him by saying, here, your shoes are wore out. I have a pair of shoes for you. Is that honor? Or am I sitting down next to him and starting with, you know, tell me your story because I I think I need to know who you are because if I don't know who you are I'm going to assume you're somebody that you're not right. so can we start with your story and can I let him tell his story honestly right. don't tell me what you think I want to hear right. tell me what your heart is speaking because right. they're not the same thing because right. what I mean we see this all the time in Haiti in Jamaica in Kenya They tell us what they think we want to hear because that's how they've been trained. And to actually stand next to a person and say, no, I need to hear your story. I need you to tell it honestly. Which then Mike went on to tell me this story. He said, he and his wife, some years back, um, they lost a child and that was a really difficult, it was an infant and it was a really difficult time for them And he was telling me that because I had told him my own pieces of my own story. And um, as they, as he was telling me what was going on, he and Sophie separated for two and a half years. Sophie is actually from, was raised in Toronto, Canada. She's African American, or not African American, she's African. Um, She's not African, she's black. I don't know, what, what, could you, can we, can we just have an aside for a moment? Because sometimes I get tripped up on that. Black, okay, she's black. And she lives in Canada. Thank you. And they're over there going, so are you white or are you Caucasian? I don't know what to call you. We had that discussion at dinner. I was that was hilarious. I still tell that story. Thank you, Rodney, for bringing that one up. Um, but so so they separated. Sophie went back to Canada and to be back with her family because she just couldn't deal with all that was going on. And so for two and a half years, they were back and forth. She actually she ultimately came back, and they went to an inner healing weekend that was a two day thing, probably similar to ancient paths like we used to do. But I'm not. Um, I can't remember now the name of it, but it's a two-day inner healing thing. So the first day, Mike said, I'm having, uh, you know, I'm getting some breakthrough. I'm seeing some things. And Now, Mike said, I'm a mechanical engineer, totally logic. So if it doesn't work in logic, don't bring in the whole emotional touchy-feely stuff. I mean, you build things, and part A goes on to part B, which makes part C work, and I'm not interested in all that feely stuff. So that's Mike, you know. And um, so the first day he's getting some breakthrough. He said the morning of the second day was pretty good. The couple that were doing this weekend are British with a strong British accent. And Mike says, So I started to have some breakthrough the first day. He said, But I've worked through my past, I've worked through the prejudices. He's, He's traveled around the world setting up factories. So he's worked in countries where there was extreme prejudice. He's worked in countries where there wasn't, and all points in between. And um, so he said, "I, I, I know what that is. I got a mom who's Swiss, who's as snowy white as you can get. And I got a dad who's Jamaican, who is as black as you can get. And then there's me. He is. So I, I get all that. I've been coming up through school. I've experienced all that. So he's working through that. He goes. So, but the second, when they on the second day, right after lunch, she the lady gets up. She starts speaking. He goes, and the more she spoke, the more rage started to rise up in just to, to hear her accent. And at one point, she had made a connection and said that her family had been part of. The, the English that were in Jamaica, so that, so that her family were actually part of the, you know, those that had subjugated the Jamaicans. And, I mean, she didn't know a lot of the history, but she says, I'm sure that my, my family is responsible for atrocities to Jamaicans, because all the British, that's kind of what they were doing. So he said, I'm getting more and more angry. He said, it's just this rage, it's so deep inside. He goes, and I, all of a sudden, I'm paralyzed by this rage I'm feeling. Is I can't speak. I can't move. I'm just, it's all just there. And the lady picked up on that, and she comes over and starts talking to him. And he says, the more she talked, the more rage was, was rising up in me. And he said, so she starts doing deliverance. And he goes, so as she's praying and then the husband came over. He says, so the two of them, they're praying over me. He says, and I'm in that place. He goes, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but stuff was happening. But in my head, I'm going, this doesn't make sense. What is this? This isn't logical. Why am I acting this way? I mean, I'm an engineer. And now I'm sitting in this chair coming apart. What is going on? This is that feely stuff that I don't want any parts of. And he says so they're praying he says, and all of a sudden from deep inside this moan started to come forth and it came out he goes and what started as just this low painful moan kept getting louder and louder and went from a moan to groaning to you know kind of like just roaring just letting everything he goes and it was more, it was, it was, he said, it was literally beyond me. I'm saying this is not humanly possible, what I'm doing right now. This, I don't have this much air. I don't, I can't, it's not stopping. And he said it kept coming and it kept coming and it kept coming. And finally, it was, it was done. He goes, and I, no, I'm not talking, I'm not talking to you. It, it was finally, and for some reason, my, iPad thought I was talking to it. It's actually taking dictation. <laughs> um, the, the, so the, the groaning, it, it stopped. And he said, when it did, all the anger was gone. He says, I was sitting there going, I've never felt like this. This is amazing. And so he's free. And he's, so he's talking about that. And he said, then my, um, so so then my next day, now he's, he and his wife, were raised, got saved in a Wesleyan church, were, were, were uh, raised in, a, in, you know, a Wesleyan uh, point of view. So baptism of the Holy Spirit, nope, you know, outward things, nope, you know, you just come to church, sing the hymns, you know, read the scripture and go home, that type of stuff. says, my dad's Wesleyan, so I think, I got to tell dad what happened but I don't know that he's going to even remotely understand what the heck I'm trying to tell him. So he said, I sit down with my father, and I'm easing into this, trying to see how receptive he is. He said, I was surprised. My father was like totally receptive. He said, and at at a certain point, he said, "Um, my father just, this deep sigh comes out of him. And he looks at me, and he goes, okay, you, you need to go To such and such building in downtown Kingston, and walk when you go past the building, go behind it, and behind it there's a plaque on the wall of that building, and I forget it was some. At the the British had built the building, it was some governmental office at the time it was built. And he goes, and you just you'll you'll find the plaque, and when you find the plaque, you need to read the plaque, and then you'll know what you're looking for. And Mike said, I looked at Dad and went, can't you just tell me? And he says, no, I can't. I can't tell you. He says, okay, so he goes, I go down, I find the plaque. Because he said to his father, he said, well, how will I even know? I mean, if you tell me to go read the plaque, after I read the plaque, how will I know what I'm looking for? And the dad goes, you'll know. Mm-hmm. So he goes, he finds the plaque, and the plaque is commemorating... A group of Jamaicans, and I don't know the year, but it was an uprising to overthrow, you know, to throw the English rule off the island and become free. And it had failed. And the British had corralled the Jamaicans in this area where this plaque is, which at that time was just a, um, like a courtyard around some government buildings. But they had, you know, corralled them there. And the plaque is the names of all the Jamaicans that were killed because they executed all of them. It's the names of all the Jamaicans that were killed in that uprising. But beside the names, which are on the left-hand side, on on the right-hand side is how they killed them. And to have beheaded them or shot them or hung them, that would have been merciful. But the British weren't merciful. And Mike said, I'm I'm reading down this plaque and at a certain point there's this name and the last name is Barnett. And it was one of his grandfathers down the chain of non-people who had risked everything and gave his life for the chance of being free. Obviously later Jamaica became free. But um, And Mike, he goes, when I saw that, he goes, it was amazing for me because my reaction was different than what my reaction had been in times past as I've discovered pieces about my family. He said, I stood there reading this plaque and I began to just weep because I knew as I stood there, I'm a free man. I'm not a free man because some government has said I'm a free man. I'm a free man because Jesus Christ has changed my heart and he's made me free. And as he's explaining that to me, and I, I mean, at that point, we're still driving down the road going to the airport and we're all like blubbering fools. He's telling the story. And I'm thinking, all right, now we got to go through airport security. i and this is Jamaica and now my eyes are all red and bloodshot. <laughs> and some of you know what that means. <laughs> yeah. okay, this is going to be interesting. here. <laughs> uh, but this is what the Lord quickened in me, and I, and, and I want to, I, I, I'm going to put this out because it's, I, and then I'm not going to go to the whiteboard today because this is enough, but I, I'm putting it out because I think it speaks something to, to what, to where we're at and where we're going. I said to Mike, I said, Mike, when all that that you said was so deep, you didn't know you had that level of depth inside of your body when all that started to come out, I said, I know you got set free. You've already testified to that. And that's true. I said, but there's this, there's this, there is this verse. And I find this In Hebrews chapter 11, towards the end, we go through all the, the amazing things that happens in faith. And then verse 36 comes along. It said, Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in, sheep, in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves in the earth. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had prepared something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. That's an interesting verse. And I shared that verse with Mike. I said, that verse rose up in me when you were sharing your story. I said, and I don't know what I'm telling you. And I don't know what I'm telling you. But there was something when Mike stepped into that place where he became free, at least in my mind, his freedom made perfect Those that had died without obtaining the promise. There was something. Folks, the dead are not in the grave. Don't go to the cemetery looking for them. They're here. They're waiting. It's not a static place. And I said to Mike, I said, those groans that came out of you that, were, that you said were so deep you didn't know it was there and went on so long you didn't think that you were humanly possible to, to expel that much air without taking a breath in, all that. I said, Mike, in my mind, that was the voice of your ancestors. That, that was the voice of injustice that had been waiting to be made perfect when finally somebody in the generational line stepped forward and said, yes, I'll go after this. And somehow in my getting free, those that have died before me in my family line get their inheritance. And it doesn't stop there. Because on another day, every one of us in this room are going to be in the land of the dead. And others in our generational line. Or others, I'm not even really confining it just to generational bloodlines. But those of us that, that have walked, that have served, that have given all that we think that's all going into the future beyond me, yes. beyond you. Yes. And there's going to be others that are going to look back at you, look back at your life, look back at your words, look back at what you've gone through, and they're going to know your story. And at a certain point, something in their life is going to trigger them that my life is now part of the story of the ones that have gone before me. And somehow freedom comes. And I don't even understand what I just told you. I'm not saying the blood of Jesus is not sufficient. The blood of Jesus is sufficient. That's why this even works. But somehow, when I look at Hebrews, I have to look at this scripture and go, how does that, what, is, what does that mean? That God provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. There's something, the, the better for Mike was not only what he experienced, but the better for Mike was that his ancestors experienced it as well. I don't know about you, but when I look at that, that's a pretty cool deal. Yeah, I'm not just standing here for me. Life isn't just about me being the individual and getting what I want as my individual and building my little kingdom. I'm part of humanity. I'm part of the whole and I affect the whole and the whole is better because I'm here because you're here and the whole will be better when we're gone because we were here and we impart to another whole group that same truth and that same reality except they're going to get it even better because Paul said all of creation is groaning for the revelation of the sons of God. There's this revelation that's happening. There's this exposure that's happening. There's this maturity, a maturation that's happening in the church. Yeah, we've done really stupid things. Yes, we've done really mean and cruel things. It's in our history. Don't take it out of the book. Don't take down the statues. Just deal with it. But you know, the new statues that are being erected in parks are not guys on horses with swords and guns. There are plaques about a woman that sat on a seat on a bus. Yeah. There are plaques about four guys that walked into a restaurant and said, I'm entitled to sit here. Yeah. I don't care what your stupid sign says. Okay. I'm inti- and I'm not coming in the back door. Yeah. You're going to take my money, I'm going to sit at your counter. Yeah. That's the plaques we're erecting. Yeah. And it's happening across the globe. When I get to travel and you know and I saw it in, in Kingston. There's the there's the military plaques, they're there. It tells a time of our history. But the plaques they're putting in there are it's the Freedom Park. It's the peace memorial. You know, it's the women's rights memorial. It's those types of things. It's where society is shifting and it's becoming better. So I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of, it's becoming better. And each of us play a part. Man, when you mess up, just own your stuff and get on with it. But that's not who you are. Go about doing good and healing all that are oppressed by the devil. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's the mark. That's the legacy. That's what life looks like. Abundant life. Not six cars in the garage. (laughs) I'm okay with four. (laughs) Depends. I I need my 65. I have it. Never mind. (laughs) That's that's not what we're here for. We're here to make a difference. We're here to to leave something that is beyond us, that's bigger than us, (laughs) that brings with it a reality that just people can see, people can feel, people can experience. So, okay, so that's probably all the information that you probably need to know about the village of Ugarit. <laughs> it was in Jamaica, right? Yeah, it was in Jamaica. <laughs> uh. Um this coming Saturday, we are shifting the what was Freedom Reigns, which would have been yesterday. No, it wouldn't. Today's the first, right? Second. Oh, minus months over already. So we're moving everything. It's the second Saturday of the month now. We're doing a full day of various things. We have a meeting in the morning, and then we'll be able to give you the whole schedule. And then it ends with the cafe on Saturday night. So we thought we consolidate everything to one Saturday instead of two Saturdays. That makes life a little less complicated for many of us. And we're actually going to be carving out a teaching time in that Saturday that'll be about an hour to an hour and a half. Um, I'll be starting that, and for those that are interested, I'm going to take some of the detailed stuff that I've kind of been weaving in on Sundays, and I'm going to move that to Saturday. So I can keep a more, more better or a better flow of things. But this coming Saturday, I think it's going to start at nine, right? Nine. nine thirty. Nine thirty. Starts at nine thirty, and goes on all the way through to eight thirty in the evening when cafe ends. Okay, let's stand. Jesus, I thank you that you've come that we could have abundant life. And that abundant life looks like you. And it looks like how you did abundant life. So Lord, I over this whole company of believers called the house. Lord, help us to hear you better, see you better, image you better, Lord, that the world can see and can know that Jesus, you've come to make a way for us to be reconciled to the Father, to come back to the garden, to come back to the place we were always intended to be. And Lord, as we come back, I pray for each one of us that your spirit, your presence so fill us that we learn to walk with you in the cool of the day and hear your heart and then release that to the world around us as it was always intended to be. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for for forgiving us and as we have already expressed in the communion table today no one took your life you willingly gave it because of love
1: thank you amen